0: Luke, son, I've been there. Seemed like a good idea at the time, didn't it? And then you get up in front of these folks and everything changes. Folks, let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you again for the day that we have. Thank you for the privilege of being able to come together to study your word. And I pray that we will listen to what you're saying to us. We won't uh, approach your word with any preconceived ideas that we would desire to hear from you, not from what man has to say, not uh, from me as a preacher, but from you. Thank you again for this time. Thank you, God, that you love us enough, that you desire to guide us and direct us, and so you had your word preserved to bring to this very point in time right now. In Christ's name, amen. Folks, if I told you that God sent his son to this earth, and he was going to live about 33 years, and the last three years of his life would be how his life is measured. How do you think he would spend those last three years? Or let's make it personal. Let's say that you know from the time you're born, you're taught, and you know that you're only going to live 33 years, and the last three years of your life would be how your life is measured. What would you do with your life? Folks, I believe it is an indisputable fact that Jesus Christ accomplished more in three years, in the last three years of his life, than any other person in the history of the world has accomplished in an entire lifetime. In fact, he accomplished more than any nation or kingdom in history. H.G. Wells, the famous author and considered by many to be one of the top historians of the last century, said this about Jesus. More than 1,900 years later, a historian like myself, who doesn't even call himself a Christian, finds the picture entering irresistibly around the life and character of this most significant man. The historian's test of an individual's greatness is this. What did he leave to grow? Did he start men to thinking along fresh lines with a vigor that persisted after him? By this test, Jesus stands first among all who have ever lived. And I agree with that. Somebody once said you can tell how big a ship is that's passed out of sight by how big a wake that it leaves behind it. Well, I want to tell you something, friend. Any way you measure it, Jesus left the largest wake this world has ever seen. Now, think about how it all began. It began, this journey, it began with a journey that some men decided to take about 2,000 years ago, and they took this journey with this soon-to-become-famous carpenter from Nazareth. Now, the story that we're going to look at today reveals two things that Jesus did in those three years that made such a tremendous difference. Now, let me say this by way of introduction to introducing this new series of messages I'll be preaching on. Do you realize that we have a missing persons epidemic in this nation, in this country? I didn't realize how bad it was, folks. In the last 25 years, people who have gone missing here in America has went up six-fold. They now estimate that year in America, 100 people are reported missing. That's 2,400 people a day. That is almost 1 million people a year, 900-some thousand people a year. Now, maybe you've experienced this. You're driving in your car. You've got the radio on, and they have a news break to report the Amber Alert. Or maybe watching TV, you see the picture, and they bring it across the bottom of the TV. Or maybe, like me, your phone goes off when they issue an AMBER Alert. Now, you may not know what an AMBER Alert is. It stands for America's Missing Broadcasting Emergency Response. And it was named after a little girl named Amber who was nine years old in Texas who went missing and was later found murdered. Now, folks, I tell you all this because when you study the last three years of the life of Jesus as recorded in the Gospels, you find amazingly enough that his life revolved around missing persons. I mean, every person that's far from God is a missing person to God. In essence, folks, there's an amber alert on every empty seat in this auditorium, and Jesus spent three years, the three most important years of his life, doing two simple things. You know what that was? Number one, finding missing persons. Number two, making committed disciples. Now think about this. Of all the things Jesus could have done in those final three years, he could have written books, he could have went to school, he could have made money, he could have started a business, but he gave his life to those two things, folks, finding missing persons and making committed disciples, and I want to tell you, he wants you and I to give our lives to those two things as well, now here's what I want you to get, from your head down to your heart, when you make the purpose of his life, of Jesus's life, the purpose of your life, you find the real purpose of all of life. Now that makes sense to you? Do you want me to say it again? I don't know if I could get it all through again. Did you catch that? When you make the purpose of his life. The purpose of your life. Then friend. You realize what the real purpose of all life is. And the purpose is found in the process. Of becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. You can sum up everything that Jesus wants you to do. In the first command that he ever gave to anyone. And it's two words. You know what those two words are? Jesus said, follow me, follow me. Now, those two words are the foundation of, of living a purpose-filled life with eternal consequences. Now, life is a journey, and I remember somebody, I don't know who said this, you probably remember, uh, but said that every journey, a journey, even a journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. So, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 5 this morning. Luke chapter 5, Anybody up there? Okay. We're going to start in verse 1 in just a minute. What we're going to do is read the story of how Jesus called his first followers. Now I want you to keep in mind, folks, as we read this story, we're not just reading about them, but we're reading about you and we're reading about me. Because the steps that these men took, they're the same steps that you and I need to take if we're going to get on the greatest journey of all and a journey that leads, folks, right into a God-filled eternity journey, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, the first step of the journey is you need to hear the word of God. Look at verse 1 of Luke chapter 5. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Genesareth. That's by the sea of Galilee. (coughs) Now, the gospel writers, they tell us, folks, that the public ministry of Jesus involved three things. It involved teaching, it involved preaching, and it involved healing. So Jesus went across the countryside preaching what was true, teaching what was right, and healing what was wrong. Now, the story begins with Jesus teaching and people hearing the Word of God. Now, the reason I make such a big deal about this, you need to understand it's important. Every journey with Jesus begins with hearing the Word of God. Jesus was, now, He wasn't teaching from the Bible like I am today because in that day there was no Bible, not not as we know it. Jesus wasn't teaching from a book. He was teaching from His heart. And look at that phrase in verse 1. Look at that phrase, the Word of God. Folks, that could also be translated the word from God. So what I want you to get is understand every time Jesus opened his mouth, you were hearing the word of God. His teaching was the word of God. Why? Because he was God of the word. You remember John. Now, John, the disciple, he's in this story that we're reading today. Now remember, later on John's going to write in John 1 verse 1 talking about Jesus, "In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God." So what was Jesus teaching? Well, back up to chapter 4, look in verse 33. And he said to them, "I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent." So Jesus was teaching them about the kingdom of God. He was giving them the good news that light had come to the spiritually dark. He was giving them the good news that sight had come to the spiritually blind. And freedom had come to those who were spiritually captive. Now, in order to make sure that the crowds could hear him and to create a little bit of space between him and the crowd, Jesus does something very wise. Look at verses 2 and 3. And saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. He gets into Peter's boat. And he asks Peter to push out a little bit offshore, short distance. Now, why do you think Jesus did that? Well, number one, folks, he was using the water to magnify his voice so that all the crowd could hear him. Now, I don't know if you've ever been out in the middle of a lake when it's dead calm, but sound travels a long ways. Matter of fact, science tells us that uh, sound travels seven times faster and seven times farther over water than it does over land. Now, maybe you're asking, how did Jesus know that? The short answer is because he made both land and water, but I'll preach on that at another time. So the crowd is on every, Jesus says. And by the way, Peter is hanging on every word too because he doesn't have any choice. He's in the boat with Jesus. Now, Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. And he knows the first step to becoming a follower of his is to hear the word of God. Now, understand me. You're experiencing the first step right now. You're hearing the word of God. Now, step number two. The second step after you hear the word of God is to trust the son of God. Look at verse four. Now, when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep, let down your nets for a draw. In other words, he said, hey, Peter, let's go fishing. Launch out in the deep, drop your nets, let's catch some fish. Now, I can just imagine, folks, that uh, Simon Peter, the last thing that he wanted to hear Jesus say was, hey, Peter, let's go fishing. I mean, think about it. Peter, the professional fisherman, the man does this for a living. Been fishing all night, hadn't caught anything. And I can just imagine he thinks to himself as he looks at Jesus, that's just what I would expect a carpenter to say. Remember what Peter and his buddies were doing when Jesus got in the boat? Back in verse 2, it says they were washing the nets. Now, you know what that means? That means their day, their work was over with for that day. That means they done clocked out. I mean, they had beached the boats. They were washing the nets. They were cleaning the nets, getting the debris out. They were repairing the nets. I mean, the work day was over. It was time to go home, get a bite to eat, watch the news for a little bit, hit the sack, get up, start it all over again the next day. That's why, I look at verse 5. That's why Peter protested first. He says, Master, we've toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Now, remember, Peter is a professional fisherman. He's exhausted. His partners are exhausted. They fished all night. They hadn't caught one fish. Now, there was a reason why they worked at night, folks. And if you're a fisherman, you understand this. Fish come up shallow at night to feed. So that's one of the reasons they worked at night. In the daytime, they're going to hide under rocks. Or worse than that, they're going to suspend out in deeper water in schools. And they're going to be so deep you can't get to them with a net. So Peter's thinking about this. Folks, and besides, think about this with fish. At night, they can't see the net. In the day, they can see the net and avoid it. So Peter sees the request that Jesus makes as foolish for two reasons. First of all, it was the wrong time. Best time to fish was at night or early morning. Secondly, it was the wrong place. Every fisherman do. The best place to catch fish is at the break around the shoreline where the deep water becomes shallow water. That's where fish come up to feed. So Peter thought, oh, you've got to be kidding me. It's the middle of the day. I don't want to go out in the lake in the middle. It's hot. The fish are not there. So Peter said, it's the wrong time, and you want to go out in the deep. You want to fish in the wrong place. And Peter also, I'm sure he was thinking, you know, if we go out in front of this crowd, I'll become laughing stock of the community. We'll be the only boats out there. Now, I can just imagine, folks, how the conversation went. When Jesus said, "Hey Peter, launch you out to the deep, let down the net, let's let's fish," I can just imagine Peter said, "You know Jesus, I love you, I really do. You're a great guy, but I'm a professional fisherman. I'm Simon Peter. I'm the fisherman on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus, I'm a professional fisherman. You're a carpenter. I understand rods, reels, and nets. You understand nails, hammers, and boards. You don't know anything about fish." I can just imagine Jesus looking at those empty nets and replied, Well, apparently, from your nets, you don't know anything about fishing either. You need to understand something about fishing in this day and age. It wasn't like we think about fishing today, it was not a leisurely activity. When guys fished commercially, especially back then, what they did, they had a huge net, and they would form it out in a semicircle, a hundred uh, foot radius or even bigger. They would let the net fall down into the depths of the water. Then they would draw the net to them, hand over hand. And they would process again and again and again. It was a back-breaking, toiling job. Now, folks, Jesus, now keep this in mind. Jesus is asking a man who had not slept all night, who had been fishing, doing this kind of fishing all night long, hadn't caught one fish, a man who had just finished washing his nets, cleaning the nets and fixing them, getting ready for tomorrow, Jesus is asking him to beach the boat, to load a 1,000 pounds of wet nets, to row out to the deep water in broad daylight and to catch fish that aren't going to be there to begin with. Now think about that for just a minute. Isn't any wonder that Peter kind of protests? Now I can just imagine after Peter protested in verse 5, Said, so, Master, we've toiled all night and haven't caught anything. I can just imagine he expected Jesus to say something like this. Oh, well, Peter, forgive me for being insensitive. Just forget that I brought it up. Let's just just uh, do pretend this conversation never happened, Peter. It's okay. Instead, Jesus folds his arms, looks at Peter, and waits. Now, if you're embarrassed, you know what I'm talking about. In this I mean, you can understand this. If you're a husband, you got it. I've had conversations like that with Marcia. When I've said, you know, I, no, man, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't want to do that. No, not right now. Let's do it later, okay? She never says a word. She just gives me that look. And in a few moments, I'm like, you know, on second thought, that is a great idea. Let's go ahead and do that. Well, listen to me, folks. Simon Peter, after he has this conversation with Jesus, look at the last part of verse 5. He says, nevertheless, at thy word I'll let down the nest. Peter said, nevertheless, Jesus, because you want me to, I'll go ahead and do it. Now, this, this is what I want you to catch. Don't miss the importance of what Peter said and what he did. What you're looking at right here in this story is one of the first examples of faith in the New Testament. Now, faith is simply taking Jesus at his word and trusting what he says. Peter says, I would not do this for just anybody but Jesus, since I've heard you teach, since I've seen you work, and by the way, if you go back to chapter 4 and verse 39, Jesus went into Peter's home and healed Peter's mother-in-law. So Peter actually owes one to Jesus. Peter says, because it's you, because it's you, I'll do what you ask. Now understand something, friend. God honors faith, okay? Okay. God honors faith, and faith is simply trusting Jesus and doing what He asks you to do in spite of the feelings within you, in spite of the circumstances around you, and in spite of the consequences that you face. That's true faith. You realize it's the second step that we're talking about here, folks, trusting the Son of God that makes the first step, hearing the Word of God, come to life. Because if you hear the Word of God, but you don't trust the Son of God, then your hearing won't make a bit of difference. That's why James says in James chapter 1, verse 22, he says, Be ye doers of the Word, and not hearers only. What Peter's doing, he has taken the second step of what will be a lifelong journey. But now he's about to experience the greatest thrill of all. That's the third step. When you hear the Word of God, and you trust the Son of God, Then, friend, you experience the grace of God. I want you to notice. Now, Jesus, look at verse 4. Notice exactly what he tells him again. Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draw or for a catch. Now, listen, Jesus didn't really say, Peter, let's go fishing, because all fishing is is looking for fish. Jesus didn't say, let's go fishing. He said, let's go catch. Let's go catch some fish. There's a great big difference. Look at verse 6 and 7. Look what happens next. And when they had had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. Now, folks, it's one thing to know how to fish. It's another thing to know where the fish are. Now, you talk about a catch. Let me give you a picture to get the idea how many fish they're talking about. And these days, the boats that they use to fish in, which some of us were over in Israel, we got to see one of these ancient boats in the museum. It's about eight foot wide and about thirty foot long. So you get the picture of how much room's in that boat. And they bring in so many fish, those two boats are starting to sink. I'm telling you, it was tons of fish. It was the greatest catch in the history of the Sea of Galilee. And I got to thinking about this the other day, thinking about this message. I bet that's the first time in all the history that a fisherman came home and actually told the truth. (laughs) You know, he said, said, I'm telling you, we caught this many fish, and they were this big. And then the kicker, if you don't believe me, ask Jesus. First time fisherman ever told the truth. Now, put yourself in Peter's shoes or, or sandals. How excited would you have been? Can you just imagine what Peter was thinking? I mean, he he could probably said something to Jesus like, "Jesus, I got a great idea. Why don't we go into business together? I know how to fish. You know where the fish are. I got a vision, Jesus. Stay with me on this. We can open up restaurants all over Israel. We could call them something like Captain Jesus uh, Seafood or or J and P's Fish Shack. What do you think?" Listen, a thought hit Peter. I believe it hit him right in the heart. And I believe while all this was going on. I think Peter thought, why would Jesus, a poor carpenter who didn't own a home, had no money of his own, who traveled the countryside preaching, teaching, and healing for nothing, and in fact, he got into my boat when he could have got into somebody else's boat. Why did he get into my boat? Why did he give me this catch? And I think it hit Peter, and he realized Jesus didn't care about fish. He didn't care about business. He didn't care about money. He realized, hey, Jesus cares about me. He doesn't care about prosperity. He cares about people, missing people like me. And when that truth sank into Peter's heart, notice how he responds. Look at verse 8 and 9. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished and all that were with him at the catch of the fishes which they had taken. Jesus agreed with Peter. Folks, well, let, me add, let, me, let me show you something real quick. Look at verse, back in verse 5. What does Peter call Jesus? He calls him master, right? Now, master really is synonymous. It, it's a synonym for captain. But now look what he calls Jesus. He calls him Lord. That means sovereign. That means ruler. You know what took place in Peter's life right then? Peter knew at that very moment he was in the presence of God. And he gets it right. He says, Jesus, you're Lord. I'm a sinner. It's the first time the word sinner is actually found in the Gospel of Luke. And you know what a sinner is? A sinner is a missing person. It's a person who is far from God. And Jesus agreed with Peter. No argument. He said, you're a sinful man. But as Peter's about to find out, when he says, depart from me, Lord, Peter's about to find out Jesus is not going to leave Peter. Instead, he's going to ask Peter to join him. Look at verse 10 says, so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. You know, folks, seven times in the Gospel of Luke, just in the, in the Gospel account of Luke, seven times Jesus uses that phrase, Fear not, or do not be afraid. Now, what Jesus said to Peter, he is saying to all of us. And I want you to listen to me. Jesus says, I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you are. I don't care how bad you have blown it. You have nothing to fear from me. Friend, listen, Jesus didn't come to bring fear. He came to bring forgiveness. It's amazing to me that Peter wanted to send the Lord away. But Jesus wanted to draw Peter close to him. Now get that part, friend. When you feel the farthest away from God, that's when God desires to be the closest to you. Peter said, depart from me. Jesus said, no, I want you to come with me. I want you to follow me. Listen, friend, when you truly meet Jesus and you recognize who he is, that he is Lord, and you realize who you are, that you're a sinner, and you resolve to bring what you are to who he is, he won't reject you with a closed fist. He'll he'll accept you with open arms. And that leads, after the experience of the grace of God, to step forward. That's following the will of God. Look again, verse five, the second part. Jesus tells Peter, he said, From now on, you're gonna catch men. Now notice that, that that phrase catch men, that's a combination of two Greek words. One word means alive, the other word means catch. So in a real sense, to catch alive. He said to Peter, Peter, what you're doing for a living now is what not is not what you're going to be doing with your life. You spent your life catching fish for the purpose of killing them. But Peter, I'm calling you to something higher. You're going to spend the rest of your life catching people in order to give them life. Now, don't miss this, folks. What Jesus was telling Peter to do was the very thing that Jesus himself had done. Are you following me on this? Jesus told Peter, go catch people because he had just caught Peter. He was saying, in fact, Peter, I caught you so you'll catch others. I found you so you'll find others. From now on, Peter's life was going to be built around two things. The same thing that Jesus was built around those last three years. And that is finding missing persons and making committed disciples. Friend, that was the will of God for Peter. That's the will of God for all the other disciples. And believe it or not, that's the will of God for every Christian and for every church. Because I'm going to say it again. Every empty seat in every church represents a person who is missing. And our job is to find the missing person, lead them to Jesus, and make committed disciples out of them. And that leads us to the fifth step, and it closes the net or the circle. Step number one, remember, hear the word of God. Number two, trust the Son of God. Number three, experience the grace of God. Number four, follow the will of God. Then number five, surrender to the call of God. Look at verse 11. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Now, i got to tell you, this point right here kind of makes you swallow hard, doesn't it? I mean, it's a little little tougher. These four guys, they signed their name to a blank contract and told Jesus, you fill it in. We now follow you. We belong to you. This is how I want to close this morning. Christianity, friend, is more than just accepting, quote, Jesus, as, you know, His death, burial, and resurrection for your sins so you can go to heaven when you die. It's so much more than that. It's also so you can live out His purpose in this life, and you can make your life count for something. You see, life is, life is not supposed to be uh, just about existing. It's not supposed to be uh, about finding silver and gold and the gathering of material stuff. That doesn't doesn't mean anything for eternity. Life has a greater purpose than all that. Folks, we must be willing as once missing persons to find other missing persons and catch others the way we were caught. And I'll close right here. You say, well, preacher, that that seems kind of scary. It can be. Admittedly, it, it can be. Witnessing, catching other people for Jesus. You say, I don't like the idea of catching people for Jesus. What do you want to call it? Leading people to Jesus, bringing people to Jesus. It all amounts to telling others about Jesus Christ. So they can come to know him and they can become a committed disciple. And their life can have purpose. And when they die, they have eternity with him to look forward to. It all amounts to the same thing. Yeah, it's risky, too. It's risky, especially in the day and culture we're living today. I'm going to tell you something beyond any doubt. Christians are becoming the most persecuted group in our nation. So it's risky. I'm going to tell you something else. It's risky to follow Jesus. It's a risk to pastor a church. I mean, make no mistake about it, folks. If If you follow Jesus Christ. You risk sharing your faith with other people and you risk standing for the beliefs that you know are true when the world around you says your beliefs are antiquated. Your beliefs are old-fashioned. They're out of date. And the world calls you a hater and a bigot and a hypocrite. Yes, there's a risk involved in it. But I want you to listen to me. When you decide to step out and follow Jesus, He takes responsibility for the journey. Follow Him. Follow Him. Now, for years, I've heard people say, as you've probably heard them say it too, you better give your life to Jesus, you might die. That's true. Friend, you may die. You may die when you walk out this door today. You need to prepare to meet God. You need to give your life to Jesus, you may die. But let me say this, you better give your life to Jesus so you might live. So you might live. And, and you need to experience life the way Jesus described it. He said, I've come that you may have life And have it more abundantly. You can have a purpose in life. And what is His purpose for each follower of His? For each believer? It is to find missing persons and make dedicated disciples. That's what He's called us to do. Folks, we need to follow Jesus not because He needs us, but because we need Him. Yes, we need Him for salvation, for eternity, but also to take life and give us a purpose. Then move life from the monotonous to the momentous. That's what Jesus will do in your life. So are you following Jesus? You say, absolutely. Great, that means that you're making, that you're finding missing persons and making disciples. So, well, I'm not really doing that. Are you sure you're following? I'm going to close with what I said a while ago. I want you to remember what I told you. When you make the purpose of his life the purpose of your life, you find the real purpose of all of life. Life begins to have meaning when you know Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you're not living, you're existing. Real life, real life is knowing and following Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads, please? Just a moment, we'll have an invitation time. If you need to give your life to Christ, you need to follow those steps. You've heard the word of God. Now it's time to trust the Son of God. You just come forward and say, "Preacher, I want to take the first steps on that journey."
1: And maybe you're here,
0: and you have you're on that journey, but friend, you're not being faithful in following Christ. Maybe you need to come and rededicate your life. I don't know what decision God's calling you to make. Whatever it may be, that's why we have an invitation. It's your opportunity to make that public decision. You say, I don't know if I could do it public. Brandon I want to tell you something. If you cannot proclaim Jesus in public, don't expect him to proclaim you in public. That's a simple fact of Scripture. When I say amen, we'll stand and begin to sing. You need to make a decision, come forward and do so. Father, I pray at this time that hearts would be turned toward you. I pray that distractions would be kept in the minimum. Father, I pray that your blessed Holy Spirit would convict hearts and lies at this moment. In Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand, please?